welcome back to Fermented Faith. It's been a good while, but um, I'm here with a new guest and hopefully uh, first of many hanging out with Chad Flannery. So if you're part of the journey, you've, you've heard us introduce Chad. Hopefully you've got to meet Chad. He is a new pastor on staff here, associate pastor of students and operations is what we're calling you just as a catch-all, really a co-pastor, co-laborer. And so um, excited to, to jump into the topic uh, today. We're going to be kind of following up from this last weekend's sermon. Um, the podcast, we're always trying to talk about the everyday things of life and the impact the gospel has on them is kind of our thing. And uh, last Sunday, we talked about real Christianity and Jesus warning about false teachers and people who make false professions and uh, really the idea that there's going to be, a, you know, presumably no small number of people that will uh, get to get to that point uh, in Judgment Day and assume that they're good with Jesus and he's going to send them away. And that's a really sobering passage. Um and so we dove into that Sunday, and uh, and we, you and I had, had some conversations about a book called The Unsaved Christian, um, author Dean Insira. I think I'm saying his name right, um, and read most of that before the sermon. We talked a little bit about it, but anyway, we want to do just kind of follow up and dive a little bit deeper, um, and maybe maybe spend some more time talking about a little bit about how we got there, how we got to where we are, because I think our area is pretty um, full of cultural Christians. Um, so we'll try to define that and, and talk through some things and, um, and then maybe get a little bit beyond what we did in the sermon of, of kind of what do, what do we do about it as far as ministering to, to those folks. So Chad, welcome brother. Thank you. So you're from Louisville. Correct. So that's urban, but still Bible belt. Correct. Very Baptist. Yes. Right. One seminary, uh, the most predominant seminary, Southern. And mm-hmm. so is that cultural? I mean, I would, so I don't know. I have my guesses about what that's like. Generally, the urban area is less full of cultural Christians, but I'm assuming Louisville is a bit of an exception. I, I would say it's probably a little bit of an exception just be, because of the seminary. You have tons of um, students, obviously, uh, learning, being equipped there. Um, there's literally churches on every corner. Um, <clears throat> but, I mean, being an urban area, having uh, a major university there, uh, yeah. you definitely have that. That's true. That lean where, you know, anything goes. Yeah, but, that's true. Uh, I didn't think about it. It's definitely an interesting mix. Yeah. I, I forget that you actually are like a University of Louisville fan. I forget they exist. <laughs> <laughs> Too soon. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, that makes sense because even, you know, the difference in, in cultural demographics from here to Carbondale is so significant just and because of SIU. Right. And, and so that makes sense that there's a there's still a lot of that. So uh, so you've been in Southern Illinois, though, for 10, ten. ten years. So uh, did you notice, we didn't talk about this before, but did you notice more of that? Um, w- like, was that uh, a notable difference to you, the amount of people who claimed to go to, you know, claimed Christianity and went to church, that kind of thing, when you moved here, or was it I think what my expecting? expectations were pretty much in line, um, just because you see it in such a, in a rural setting like, like we have here, um, that, that faith, quote-unquote, is part of the culture, it's part of who we are, um, and it's, it's not a foreign concept. Church isn't a foreign concept. Um, it's pretty regular. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, whether you're in Kentucky, Southern Illinois, uh, even as you go in into the deeper South, it, 
in those rural areas, there's not a whole lot of difference when it comes to views on, on the church. It, yeah. They're generally favorable. Yeah. Yeah. And so I mean, maybe before we go too far, we should maybe just define a little bit. Most of our listeners are journey folks, but we got some beyond that. So maybe we should define a little bit about what we're talking about. So the book's sure. called The Unsaved Christian. I said that to my wife earlier. I said it too fast. She thought I said The Unsafe Christian. <laughs> um, so The Unsaved Christian, meaning folks who would identify... Uh, they would say, if you ask them, are, are you a Christian? They would say yes, but no real evidence in Correct. their life, right? I know that's a general diagnosis, if you will, and there's a lot of nuance within that. But generally speaking, we're, about, we're, we're talking about the folks who would say, yeah, I'm a Christian, and they would attribute that to any number of things, which mm-hmm. we'll get into a little bit. But j- the folks that Jesus would say, yeah, but I never mm-hmm. knew you. It, it's more... When you're looking at it, if, if you're taking like a survey that wants some yeah. personal information, you would identify as a Christian as opposed to a Muslim or a Buddhist. It yeah. just becomes part of the identity and yeah. not necessarily a saving faith. Yeah, because we're Christians. Like, yeah, so there's a lot, again, we'll talk more about mm-hmm. kind of why people would identify that, but a lot of times it's family, heritage, area, mm-hmm. you know, just, yeah, it's like who we are. Yeah, you're right. We Meaning we're not. We're not Hindu. We're not. We're Muslim. not something else. Yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, basically a, a summary of of we preached through uh, finishing up Sermon on the Mount and and the passage I referenced earlier was Matthew seven and uh, twenty one, twenty two, and twenty three, where Jesus says, "I never knew you." So, re- really, right there at the at the beginning of the kingdom, Jesus goes ahead and, and says, "Hey, there's going to be people who are claiming this, but they're not there." I think. Um, the way that Insira puts it is there, there are those who can be in the church but not of the church. Um, and so, yeah, that's a sobering reality. I think um, we obviously, this is important for a couple reasons. First of all, we want to make sure that's not us, right? Mm-hmm. Like as we pastor people, as we listen, as we, like we want to take it as what I think Jesus meant for it to be. It's kind of a gut punch, mm-hmm. like sobering reality check. Make sure it's not us, um, you know. Jesus says hard things, and as he's wrapping up this incredible sermon, there's so many. It's interesting. There's, there's, you know, different parts of the Sermon on the Mount, particularly "Thou shalt not judge," and um, you know, the Lord's Prayer, and some of the Beatitudes that people love to quote, and the world loves to put on, you know, coffee mugs, and and even non Christians are comfortable quoting that. Mm-hmm. I don't know anybody that quotes this one, right? Like that's not a real popular. Not in the top ten. Yeah, because it, it's hard. It's a hard passage not to understand, but to receive and apply. So, but Jesus says it because he loves us and he wants to be honest with us and he wants us to, you know, not be comfortable with just a flippant acknowledgement of him, but really to think uh, deeper. So we want to make sure we're on the right side of this deal. But then I think beyond that is, um, you know, if we're thinking. Um, about our area, and I, I would assume I, I've, I've had seasons like this where I've thought, "Man, I don't really feel like there's anybody to reach here." Like, is there's so many, so many churches, mm-hmm. right? Um, almost everybody has some exposure to the gospel, um, and most of them would know how to answer the questions rightly. Mm-hmm. And so, ministering in that and trying to reach folks can be discouraging. And uh, we've heard, I don't know if he says it, but I've heard other people say, you, you got to get them lost before you can get them saved kind of thing. Right. And <clears throat> the premise of of the book, um, 
and, and he gets into a little bit of it, his own personal story of, you know, graduating from seminary and he's, you know, been called to a church in yep. Florida. He's packing up his family to move there. He's got a, a buddy from seminary doing the same thing, but he's going to California and he tells the buddy, man, hey, I'm sorry, you're in for a hard road. Right. But he kind of looks at him like almost <laughs> amused. He's like, why do you say that? He said, the people in California, they're lost. And so, like, no qualms about it. He said, you're going to the Bible Belt, and they don't know they're lost. Yeah. They think they're good. You have to get them lost. That's right, yeah. Before they can come back around. Yep. I remember Matt Chandler and Mark Driscoll going back and forth about that years ago, back when they were super influential. I don't mean to quote them as, as folks that... We're not endorsing them, but I just remember that Seattle to Dallas, sure, kind of debating whose mission field was harder because Seattle's <laughs> the, at that time was like the least church city, you right? Know, very secular, secular and least church city in the world. And Dallas is Dallas, right? It's even right. more than Louisville. Like mm-hmm. there is multiple seminaries there, and there, you right. know what I mean. It's it, it's a very much the kind of heart of the Bible Belt, if you will. So. Um, so yeah, there, there is just a different challenge. And so, but, but it doesn't mean we just dismiss it and go, all right, well, Lord will sort it out. Like we're still called to evangelize, right. we're called to, to be, you know, laboring. The harvest is still plentiful here. It doesn't matter how they're not saved, right? If they're an all out atheist or in the secularist, you know, universal, whatever, or if they would check the box of Christian and yet they're far from Jesus, they're actually still just far from Jesus, like right. both both of those categories, mm-hmm. and so both need ministering to. So if we're going to know our mission field, we need to think about this stuff. It changes our approach. It, it uh, Any good missionary is going to f- spend some time studying his context and knowing, okay, what, what do these people believe, and what are my on-ramps to the gospel, what obstacles are going to be there, and what's my plan to, to navigate them? I mean, it's so often we apply the Acts 17 story of, of Paul at Mars Hill examining their poets, you know, walking through the marketplace mm-hmm. and examine their, their art and their, and their poetry and quoting that to them and using that as a, as a conversation endpoint, talking about their philosophies and things. And, and so we, we use that to think about California and Seattle, those right. places that are New York that are obviously lost. Mm-hmm. But I don't think there's a lot of time spent thinking about Okay, let's examine uh, Bible Belt culture. What right. are they believing? What are their obstacles? And how do we actually present the gospel to them in a way that they'll be most receptive? And so that's the heart of what we're mm-hmm. trying to do. And I think probably the heart of the the book there. I don't want to speak for him, sure. but I think it's absolutely. Yeah. Well, and I think it ties in, like you said, with with the Sermon on the Mount because this this culture that we live in is probably very similar to the audience that Jesus was speaking to on the Sermon on the Mount. Like those yep. those were the Jews. They they knew the Torah, they knew the law, they knew the prophets backwards and forwards. Uh and here Jesus is is sharing the gospel with them, but they thought that they were fine. Yeah. And some people got it, but a whole bunch of people didn't. Yep. Yeah. All right. Well let's talk a little bit more about what the culture is and and We'll get into kind of maybe how we got there a little bit, um, and then we want to end with talking about okay, how how do we engage then, and, and what are, what are some tips to that end? So, um, you know, one of the things I made note of that that he highlights that that I certainly feel is like there's this 
we live in a culture where people feel like they should go to church. So like if you bring it up or, you know, now that you're a pastor, you'll start to get this more like it just changes the conversation with people. Like <laughs> when you start, you have the conversation of what do you do? You know, it, you know, if you ask somebody else that and it, they say, you know, fill in the blank, they're an accountant or lawyer or police officer, whatever it is. It's like, you can have the follow up conversations and ask about that or whatever. And when you say you're a pastor, it just changes the conversation. Sometimes it shuts it down. Sometimes they, they will apologize for what they have just said because they'll realize they have cussed in your presence. <laughs> so they'll apologize. So it's funny. Just let me know when you experienced that the first time because it's coming. Uh, they will. They'll, they'll change how they talk um, and, and they'll apologize. Or if they've got a beer in their hand, they'll put like, it, it, it's just, yeah. So it, it, it's interesting because there's that cultural, like just pressure and expectation mm-hmm. and, um, you don't do it in front of the preacher. That's right. Yeah, yeah, um, and and that says a lot about our our culture, and it says a lot about you know why we're talking about this because there is, you know, I think one of the things he said that I think is true of our area it's over church but underreached. And I don't know if over church. I think statistically, if you just pressed into that, I think if everybody showed up, there probably still wouldn't be seats, you know, in our region. But nonetheless, it seems like there's churches on every corner, right? There mm-hmm. and there, there's a lot of churches, but the amount of people that are actually attending and following Jesus, um, th- it seems to be disproportionate, you know, and you have your people that go. And I, and I think a lot of the church growth that happens around here is kingdom shuffle. Right. Not often is it kingdom growth. Um, there's exceptions. Uh, I don't mean to say that there's not churches baptizing new believers, but a lot of times it's it's just people moving from one church to another. That's what I mean by kingdom shuffle. So, um, and yeah, there's that pressure of like, I should go. It, it, you know, and he was telling the story of one of his buddies, the author was about, and then when he'd see him, he's like, yeah, I need to get to church. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's just a, that's a real common thing. Yeah, I know I should. And and it just, it it drives the conversation in a certain direction. Um, but... Anyway, uh, I think the other the other thing I think about this a lot, and again, probably forthcoming for you is is uh, preaching funerals, um, or e- and even just attending them. But oh, certainly, yeah. when you're preaching them, there's a, there's a, you know this pretty haunting reality a lot of times, depending on the person and if you know them and what you know about them where there's a reference back to a profession of faith uh, that is used as a comfort. And I don't mean to say that that shouldn't be, but it's just hard when it doesn't line up with what you've known of that person, right? When that, there's been like, there's been no evidence of that person attending a church, following Jesus, caring about Jesus at all. But somebody tells a story about them accepting Christ and making a profession at some point, And so we feel better. Mm-hmm. And that's hard. I don't. I want to be careful even talking about that, but I think it's something. I mean, I think that's kind of the point Jesus is getting at. Like, we need to be careful that we don't over, you know, emphasize and use that oral confession. That's what we talked a lot about Sunday. Is like, yes, confess with your mouth, but it also is believe in your heart. And there's a lot of implications to that reality that we sometimes make it really 
flip it in passing. It's, right. It, it's a very practical yeah. experience that, that has implications for your life. Yeah. And, and so, anyway, I think it's... Uh, that's one of the ways that I think that, that we got there is just emphasizing, you know, again, that's kind of the next part of the conversation, but I think in an effort to evangelize um, and a good effort to evangelize, I think there was, there's been a reduction of what the gospel is into emphasizing the profession piece. And we feel like if we get people to make that profession, then we're good and we kind of move on. Mm-hmm. And that, I don't know that that's happening as much now, but I think 15, 20, 25 years ago, that was a pretty big part of church culture, especially in the Baptist world and, and stuff. And so you've got a lot of people in an area like ours that have been door knocked, um, invited to, you know, VBS when they were a kid or a revival at some point, uh, a judgment house type of event. Um, and again, I also, as I say that, I know of people who have legitimately been saved at each of those things. Life's been changed. So I don't want to say that God doesn't work in those ways, but I'm saying that it can create a false assurance where we just say, okay, just you don't want to go to hell, do you? Mm-hmm. And nobody does. Like, very rarely does anybody be like, you can get this, some guys that just want to be, you know, hardcore or whatever. <laughs> but generally it's no. So, okay, we'll pray this prayer and, and then we give them assurance that they're good and we don't, I don't know, I think you made a note about not emphasizing the repentance piece and the changing. Right. Yeah. A lot of times it's avoiding heaven, going to hell rather than following Jesus. Uh, you, you put so much emphasis on that one decision. You know, it, what the book talks about, decisions versus making disciples. Mm. Yeah. And so, I mean, that's that's a scary place to be. If, if you're only relying on that one decision, you don't see evidence of fruit in a life, like you're talking about it at a funeral, like there's no evidence to back that up, and you're relying on that one decision, Yeah, that, that's a place I don't want to be. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I certainly don't want to be making a blanket judgment that none of those Correct. people are in heaven, like, because, you know, that's the part that we actually can't judge, right? Like, we can't right. fully make that judgment, but... It, yeah, like you said, it is wise just like, okay, well, let's not, let's not head there ourselves. Let's make sure that we're working out our salvation with fear right. trembling where we're continually surrendering. And that, again, is not to say that we're earning this or that we can lose our salvation. We made that note Sunday too. So, you know, maybe it's a quick note to, for folks to maybe listen. This is going to work best. It's probably a follow-up to the sermon because I'll try not to re-preach it. But um, so... Um, depending on when you listen to this, it was uh, <clears throat> the the Sermon on the Mount called uh, titled "Real Christianity" that would have been uh, April tenth, twenty two. So um, it, it w- this will be most helpful, kind of following that up. But um, yeah, so we're not talking about people who are losing their salvation because they don't do something or take it serious. We're talking about people who never genuinely were saved but have a false assurance, probably because how it was presented to them. Or a number of other issues in our culture of, again, just assuming that, well, of course I'm a Christian. Or I'm not a sinner. You know, like, I'm not like that guy, so I'm okay. I'm I'm better than those people. Right. So, yeah, I I think he made a note. And I I had heard this. I haven't heard it in years, but um, the whole idea of measuring between your head and your heart. Yeah. uh, 
and and generally it's about 18 inches or whatever uh and saying many many folks are going to miss heaven by 18 inches because what's in our head doesn't make it to our heart and i think that does a good job of getting to that you know um confessing but not believing peace right because even the believing is not most people would say well yeah i believe in jesus right but to believe that he is who he said he is to believe on him in the way that that Romans 10, 9, 13, 9 through 13 talks about is a, is to lead to repentance. It's to lead to life change. It's well, James, the, the, the follow-up verse to that is James two nineteen, right? Mm-hmm. Jesus like, you believe like, good. So do the demons. Like that's a good start. <laughs> it, how many times do you see where they confess that? Yeah, we know who you are, Jesus, right? but obviously it, it doesn't affect how they operate. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a sobering, like, really sobering uh verse as well where he's like okay you believe that that's good so do the demons and they shudder mm-hmm. which i think i've made note to talk about later that's a that's somewhere that we want to try to guide people to is that fear of the lord and that oh i'm a sinner i don't belong in his presence kind of thing mm-hmm. because a lot of what happens in a culture like this is there's an admiration for jesus and the values that come with christianity but there's not a worship of Jesus. There's not a submission right to Jesus. So that's important as we as we see the demons believe and they have a right fear of him. Still not a submission to him. Obviously that's the issue, but they they don't have any trouble acknowledging who he is. Like they like you said, they're like, oh yep. We got you. Yep. We know who you are. So yeah, and I think in the Bible Belt, one of the things he says, people don't generally have a theological hang up that's pro- prohibiting them from following Jesus. It's not generally a, an apologetic from a philosophical issue or philosophical level. Most of the time what we're dealing with, and, and again, there is exceptions here. And there is, even in this moment, there is more and more young people that are um, growing up in our area that won't be cultural Christians. Like there's a rebellion against that and there's deconstruction right. that's rapidly. So this is not always going to be true in the same percentages and ratios that it is now, even for our area. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is not everybody in Southern Illinois, but this is a lot of people mm-hmm. in Southern Illinois. So generally it's not like a theological hangup. It's more of a issue of surrender and mm-hmm. of obedience. And so, um, I mean, it, it, it makes me think of the, the rich young ruler mm. who, um, in Mark 10, you know, comes to Jesus and, you know, what must I do to have eternal life? And again, his focus is on the eternal life. Yep. And Jesus says, hey, you know, you know the commandments, follow them. He's like, hey, I've done that. Check. Yeah, that, yep. that's a very superficial sort of thing. It's, um, but that's what he's putting his hope in. Like, yep. hey, I got this stuff, I know this stuff. And, you know, what does Jesus tell him? Like, hey, one thing you lack, go sell all of your possessions and follow me. Like, yep. He had no interest in in surrendering and submitting to Jesus and, and in getting rid of the only thing that was going to keep him from following. And so like he he identified with Jesus. He knew that what he was saying was legit, that right. it was good. But when push came to shove, he just yeah. wanted didn't want to give up. Yeah, because he sought him out. Right. right, called him good teacher, like went mm-hmm. to him. But, oh, yeah, 
not willing to go there. Right. right. And, and I think that's, that is true of a lot of our people. Like they, they like, you know, they're, they're okay with the idea of praying for each other. They're okay. They're okay with even asking for prayer. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're okay. These are, these are people that would want the 10 commandments back in, in the school. Right. Right. They want God bless America saying at sporting events, they want prayer, you know, like they would mm-hmm. be pro all of these religious valued things in our community. Right. But when it comes to the surrender piece, that's I've, where I've done enough. Right. Yeah. Like, oh, well, yeah, but I mean, I go occasionally I give, I, you know, like I'm, I'm, I'm a good, you know, that kind of thing. So, yeah. Um, so we talked a little bit about the, the, the approach to evangelism that contributes to how we got there. I think it's important. I think for me to note, um, that, and we could get into a whole other conversation about family discipleship and some different things. But one of the most haunting verses for me in the whole Bible is Judges two ten, and it and that's where it says, "And then there arose a generation after Joshua that did not know the Lord." And then if you read Judges, it's a mess. It's a cluster. Mm-hmm. Like Judges is an it's like it is some real jacked up stuff um, that that happened, uh, and it starts there because there's a generation that 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 arises that they did not know the Lord. And if you trace that back to Moses's instruction, mm-hmm. it wasn't, that instruction wasn't given to the clergy. It was given to Israel at large to disciple their families, right? Like talk about these things, put them in your home, on your doorpost and around your neck and talk about right. them when you rise. And when you come, when you like, when you get up, when you lay down, when you, when you're eating, when you're playing, like talk about the things of the Lord, put up these memorials, do these festivals, do tell these stories. And, and so, so there's a piece of that. Again, that's kind of another conversation, one that we might have on another, another podcast, but I think it's important for us to realize that part of this is a, is a, is a mission drift or a relaxing of the discipleship that the church should have had. I think part of that is attributed to a focus on the numbers and the decisions versus discipleship. It's all related. Mm Mm-hmm. But the more that we put that focus on that, the less we emphasize discipleship, not only in the church, but also in the home. And so then you have this all just, you know, perpetuates this cycle of nominal Christianity that leads to hypocrisy, that leads mm-hmm. to kids not wanting anything to do with it, right? And a lot of kids rebel at the young adult age. But so many of them come back after they start having their own kids, right? Like how many families do you know that show back up at church when they start being parents and they realize they're responsible for another, like (laughs) another human being. And they're like, Oh crap, I don't want to screw this up. And behind that is a cry. Oh, help me make this kid moral. Right. Like that's what drives a lot of young adults back to church is, Oh, I, I I want morality for my kids. I might've rebelled against it during my, 20s. I don't want them to turn out like I did. Exactly. Yeah. So they bring them to church. And I know, I remember when I stepped into youth ministry at 19, like I had a couple of parents like literally tell me that, like, please fix my kid. Like <laughs> they're headed in a bad path. Like, can you please help? And I, you know, there was, they weren't bad parents. I don't, but I was like, uh, like <laughs> I was going to preach, I was going to tell them about the Bible, but uh, I'll try. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, there, there's all of that, that that's playing in there. But we do have a responsibility to to not be relaxed about our discipleship and about 
so anyway, I think there's an opportunity for us to wake up and make a difference in this generation, but also like we shouldn't be surprised when we're relaxed about our discipleship that things go off course just right. because this is a particular flavor that we're struggling with. Uh, it, it shouldn't be shocking. So, you know, we are at war. Yes. Like, there is that underlying theme to the Bible. It's like, hey, you're not actually wrestling against flesh and blood. So that is worth noting, too, that Satan is just as content with a good old boy, Republican voting, God bless America singing, prayers in schools, having good old, like, that kind of cultural Christian that doesn't know the Lord. That's a win for him just as much as the atheist, like... Yeah, and I think it's important to note, like those things in and of themselves aren't bad things. So don't don't hear us say that. But when those things become the well, Lord, didn't we cast out demons in your name? Yeah. Didn't we heal the sick in your name? If 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 that's where our hope is, like, yeah, I want prayer in school. Yeah, we we prayed before ball game right. or before meals, and yeah. we we stood for the national anthem at ball games, like. Good. Those are those are good things, but those don't save us. Right. Yeah, and and so when you push into that, you know that was part of the other story. You know, you were telling earlier too, but Jesus is really calling them out. Oh, the rich young ruler. Like those are the emphasis on things that we have done, right? Right. Yeah. Instead of what he has done, mm-hmm. and and that on the surface, I mean, in that. I think it was Martin Luther that got warned during the Reformation. Like, if you preach this, people are going to do whatever they want. Like, if you actually preach the gospel of grace, people are going to do whatever they want. And he was kind of like, I'm butchering this story, because <laughs> I didn't look it up. But he's like, yeah. But my pastor used to say, uh, you get to change it. Jesus will change your want-tos, right? Like he'll, mm-hmm. and, that, that, and that's true. So you, you can't in an effort to take back control, you can't go back to the law. Right. Because then you, you take away... You've chained yourself all over again. Yeah. And so some of these things are, are you know, related to that when we take these Christian values and we, we say, this is what it means to be a Christian. You pray before meals, you do those things. Again, those things aren't wrong in and of themselves, but if that's what you're banking your standing before the Lord on, you're grossly mistaken. Instead, it's a seeing Jesus for who he is will change you from the inside out. Mm-hmm. And those things will be an outflow of that, even church attendance, which I think you had made. Like, that's going to be not the goal, but like a fruit of right. the relationship that's, that's that we the have That's the byproduct. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Um, so, again, related, we've made, you know, the sinner's prayer, which, again, is not, on the surface is not wrong. Like, but when we've made that and baptism sort of these rites of passage for our cultural Christianity, instead, like we've, there's another reduction of like the value there. It's, we don't want so-and-so to go to hell. We want to get them say this prayer and get them baptized. And then we have this collective sense of relief, mm-hmm. you know, even in families, you get grandparents and stuff that like, that's, we're going to get them there. And then we feel you feel okay. Your youngest boy just got saved, right? Right. Yeah, and baptized a couple weeks ago. So, and again, that's it, not to say we don't celebrate that. We absolutely do. Right. That their name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Like that is the goalpost in a lot of ways. But it's not the. But the 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 work's not done. That's like, right. Like if anything, like my job starts yeah. now. Right. 
to to make sure that that I'm raising him up, that I'm I'm discipling him, so that like we know that 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 decision was real, right? Right? That he's not you know at 20 years old coming back and saying like, no, I just did that because you wanted right. me to do that, Dad. Like, no, we we want to teach him about sanctification. We want to see him grow and become more like yeah. Jesus. And yeah, the, the work starts now. It, it just because he got baptized doesn't mean everything's done and, right. and we can breathe easy now. Right. And I think it's important to note again, certainly a thing you could have a whole nother conversation on, but discipleship and a, excuse me, and evangelism aren't at odds. They're one, they're, they're 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 one and the same thing, right? Mm-hmm. Jesus Jesus tells us to go make disciples, not make converts, right? But getting them converted is the first step in discipleship, mm-hmm. right? But it's just we just don't stop there, right? And so they're not. You don't have to pick one or the other. I think some churches they're all about getting the conversions. They don't really go deep and do much training mm-hmm. and discipling. Others don't care that much about you know evangelizing, but they they go really deep and you know, train their people. And, and and so it's one of the same, like to make disciples, you first must get them converted. You, you have to first, you know, lead them to a place where they, they do uh, trust Jesus and, and follow him in baptism. And so it's important to note, we're not talking about things that are at odds with each other. It's just, we kind of reduced it um, or got comfortable with just the conversion piece. But that's like, we probably have our own stories, but like, that's a real thing. The idea of getting numbers mm-hmm. and conversions and people saved and, you know, we track that and it's published in the Baptist, you know, th- like, and again, each one of those numbers represents a person. So I don't want to say, but like, I mean, he told a story about a pastor getting up and redoing a, v- a VBS <laughs> yeah. in the book, a, a VBS invitation because his children's director didn't get enough, uh, there wasn't enough decisions made. Mm-hmm. And so he's like, I'm going to do it again. And he gets up there and basically says, y'all don't want to go to hell, do you? I mean, I'm kind of paraphrasing, but that was pretty much the gist of it. Yeah. And so. Raise your hand. Yeah. It's dangerous. Yeah. It's dangerous. To to make that your your goal and your emphasis is dangerous. But it, we don't want to say that we don't want to. We, we do want to bring people to a point of decision. So it's just a, you know, um, trying to highlight some ways that this has been over maybe uh emphasized uh while at the same time keeping in mind like it's not wrong to invite people to make a decision like but when when that's kind of your goal so that you can boast about numbers that's certainly a problem so all right any other thoughts just about like observing kind of noting you know examining who we're dealing with here before we kind of move into the all right how do we actually engage these folks no, I think we're, we got it. All right. So um, if you don't know, if you're listening to this and you're a Christian, you should care about these people becoming actually saved, right? We, we should we should not just go, well, they think they're good. That's all I can do. No, we should actually want to engage them just like we would somebody. Yeah, who, this is no different than going overseas to a Muslim country. Like yeah. they're just as lost That's right. as those people. So some thoughts on how to engage that. Uh, most of this is coming from, from the book um, in different places. But I think one of the things that I, I thought was helpful is, is not just asking if they're a Christian, but um, when they say yes, or when you know that they are, maybe just ask them why and see how they answer. 
because then that's going to help you know that that's going to help you uncover some of their belief structure if they start talking about well you know i grew up going to church or you know grandma took me to second you know or whatever they tell you is going to help you know kind of where it'll help you know a little bit about where you start and i think again one-off conversations are great i talked to some students that were here from siu sunday and they they've they're going around doing evangelism at, on campus. So they are just striking up conversations mm-hmm. and, and, and I, that's great. Uh, most of the time, what we're talking about is going to be relational conversations where this probably be, won't be your only opportunity with these folks. So a conversation is not bad and getting that first bit of information is going to help you know how to pray and engage with them in the future. But, but having a plan, having some thoughts mm-hmm. that you've, you put through is a good thing. And I think, you know, specifically addressing cultural Christianity in this mode, like these people typically aren't going to be offended if you, if you have that question, if you say, Hey, you you know, why do you believe what, what it is They're They're not going to most likely they're not going to shut down on you because they do have some affinity for it. Like they're familiar and man, people like to talk about themselves too. So chances are they'll open up and it doesn't have to be awkward. Right. Yeah, so there's actually a way to leverage this to make it easier. Yeah. Right. And the same thing, he made note of, like, you can actually use the Bible because they're going to have some reverence for it. Right. Right, where an atheist, you're going to have to you're gonna have to do some more work. You can't just start with the Bible oftentimes because they'll be dismissive of that. Right. But most of these folks that we're talking about here are going to have some reverence for the Bible, um, and so mm-hmm. you can pull that in quicker. So I, that's helpful. Um. The way he put it, I wouldn't have put it, but I think it's helpful. It's not a question of whether God exists, but has he spoken? Again, I think people don't really have a problem with acknowledging the Bible exists, and most of them even respect it, but pressing into what does it actually say, some more questions you know, behind that um, can, can be helpful to kind of get them to that place where they're, they're understanding that 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 need for 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 a savior Mm -hmm. uh because of their own issues so uh because of their own sin um so yeah i uh do you have some questions that that kind of help get to that point or how do we go there i think ultimately you know reminding like getting them to the place of in genesis 3 like we're, we're talking about right after the garden of eden whenever Adam and Eve had an intimate relationship with God, enjoyed his presence daily, and then when sin enters, they hide. Right. Um, Isaiah, you know, has this throne room experience in, a, in, a, in chapter 6 and immediately realizes, oh, I'm doomed because I'm, he's holy and I'm not. I'm a sin. Like, and that's the place that ultimately people were going to have to get to personally before they can make an actual decision, you know, right. like, and we go back to kids. <clears throat> I'm at this place right now with probably even my two oldest girls, certainly my middle daughter. Like I could ask her the right questions and she would say, she would say the right answers. Right. Mm-hmm. I could, like I could get her to say the right things and have her be baptized soon. But I haven't seen yet this moment of realization of need. Mm-hmm. where she is realizing oh, she needs to be saved, right? But if I just ask her the questions, she would answer them rightly. I had this with my older daughter too, and it wasn't until like, you know, 
which is going to be our final point is like just preaching the word, but like her journey kids teachers had walked her through a story or walked her through a lesson on the Lamb's book of life. Mm-hmm. And that kind of rector, she came home from school a couple of days later, worried about her name, not being the Lamb's book of life. And there was genuine tears and like, Oh, she, and she realized she needed Jesus. And so that's what led her to receive Christ. Like you can't facilitate that fully. You, you know, you can like, lead but but ultimately that's what we're trying to get people to that point of realizing oh they need like we need not they like not not that I, and that's part of it too telling our own story but helping realize like oh we need a savior because even though you may not be like so and so you're not mm-hmm. that bad that's not that's not how we compare ourselves like we we do need so so that's a piece of it um how you get there with each individual is going to be a little bit different but but knowing that that's what you're going to need to to kick around um, based off of their response, you can ask some questions like maybe who doesn't make it to heaven? Like that could be a good follow-up that could uncover some more things about their belief system. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the idea even behind that that the author of the book presses into is if, if, if good people go to heaven, then why did Jesus die? Right. Right. And you don't want to come at these with got you. This is not like got you apologetic. Yeah. This is just like things to be intentional about trying to surface. So (laughs) it's pretty confusing if you talk about a savior that died for people that didn't need saved. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Right. So if you can press into that, like, okay, if it's just about being good, then Jesus didn't need to, to die. And, you know, that holiday that you attend church for every year that we're about to observe this, like, really mm-hmm. wasn't needed. Yeah, like, what are we doing yeah. if, if you don't need it? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I think you can ask some questions about, you know, has that belief in Jesus led to any change? Like, how has that changed your life? I think that can be a good non-accusatory question. Mm-hmm. Like, if you know him really well and you're just saying, like, hey, I don't, you know, like you're just trying to call them out and catch them. Like, no, but if you're just saying like, Hey, and some of this is going to be people that you've had relationships with for years. And so it's going to be really awkward to start up this conversation. But I think if you're just, if you, if you lead out with your own humility mm-hmm. and say, listen, it's my fault that I've never talked to you about this, but like my faith has become really important to me. Um, can like, what's that like for you? What What is your, like, I know you, you know, have gone to church some, like, tell me what you believe, you know, and then listen and say, awesome. Like, how's that belief impacting your life? Right. Right. And if it's a pretty surfacey thing, then that gives you a chance to kind of push in a little bit more and say, man, what I realized is Jesus demanded like all of me and I didn't change so that I could be accepted by him, but because he accepted me, man, it, it led me to, so leading with your own testimony and kind of anticipating some of their, you know, resistance can be disarming. I think not that we the gospel is going to be offensive. We mm-hmm. don't have to apologize for that, but you know, the, serving it up the most intentional way is helpful. Um, you can jump in anytime, man. I'm trying not to preach, like I said, but um, <laughs> I I got a buddy notes, that. So. Like he he loves to start these conversations of, I mean, what is God teaching you, mm. right? And 
like that's a, that's a perfect open door because yeah. a lot of times, especially with cultural Christians, like they're not necessarily in in the word with any sort of regularity, but that that's a chance to yeah. for us to jump in and be like, well, here's what I'm learning. Hey, yeah, would you want to sit down and learn it with me? That and that's that's really disarming too because mm-hmm. then you're not just coming at them being like you're just inviting them in, right? Yeah, yeah, and, and, and we all know people don't like to tell you no, right? Just use that to your advantage. Put them in <laughs> put them in an awkward spot, like, right? Yeah, yeah, um. Yeah, and that's such a helpful thing, too, is remembering, hey, we don't have to do it. I mean, one of the quotes from the last chapter of the book is like, uh, or one of the last chapters, he says, we don't have to bring the, I think it was a Jared Wilson quote, we don't have to bring the fire, bring the thunder, bring whatever, just just bring the gospel. It will do the thundering. Right. And so there's a lot of comfort in that. of like, mm-hmm. we don't have to have all the answers ready and have a five page speech written out of how, you know, like just to have some conversations, trust the gospel, know the gospel. You should, you know, that's, that's something we shouldn't assume is that everybody knows how to articulate the gospel. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we've talked about that here at the journey. We've kind of talked about the three circles method. We've talked about some other, but it doesn't, what method is really secondary. Just know how to, the gospel is not advice. It's news. Mm-hmm. Right, it, know how to share what Jesus has done and what is required of us. You know, like to repent and, and to have faith. Like, and so trusting in, in the Bible to do that is is really freeing. Is and and so yeah, if you can get them to read the Bible with you, that's so good. Like that. That's yeah. Let them see it for themselves yeah. rather than taking your word for it. Yeah, another quote I wrote down from the book was uh, from Thabiti. Uh, Annual Bile, I always, I don't know if I said that right, but we'll just roll with it. Um, but he says, just preach the word, preaching that points to everyone, points everyone and everything to Christ, insisting upon his lordship, our submission, our repentance and faith, that kind of preaching tends to separate the wheat from the chaff and make unconverted people uncomfortable. So find a church that preaches the word, invite your friends to it. Like that's not a bad strategy either, but yeah, inviting them to sit down with you, uh, read the Bible, not so you can get these gotcha moments, but so you can submit to the Bible together. Uh, that's going to be huge. And then I don't want this to be a footnote, but like the biggie on the high chart is pray for them. Mm-hmm. Right? Like these, these folks that you know, that, that you sense aren't actually saved. But they don't have any urgency because they would say they are. Pray for them. Like, whether they're being converted from Islam, atheism, or cultural Christianity, salvation is a supernatural event, right, that the Holy Spirit authors. Like, if you think back to our own stories, like, it wasn't a dissemination of information that led us to salvation, right? It wasn't just hearing, it wasn't just acknowledging some facts. It was like we talked about that realization with my kid, like realization that we need a savior. So we can't do that anyway without the spirit's help. Now he wants to use us for that. Okay. You don't want to go too far and just prop your feet up and say, well, he's going to do whatever he wants. Like, no, he wants to use us in evangelism. That's why he Mm -hmm. sends us out. But trusting that like, Hey, he wants them saved more than us. And so just praying like, Hey Lord, like reveal to them their need. And, who knows what what kind of circumstances in their life will will do that for them? I, I 
think back to just a few guys I know. I remember the death of a grandpa. Mm-hmm. Um, a diagnosis, cancer. Um, I think he told a story about a girlfriend getting pregnant. Mm-hmm. Like there's events in your life that snap you out of it and send you looking for answers. And so if you're praying and you've established yourself as somebody who's safe to ask questions to and knows a good church, like, man, the Lord can really use that to, to bring folks from this idea of cultural Christianity into genuine faith and repentance and, and life change. Mm-hmm. All right, man. Well, that's, uh, that's 48 minutes of us uh, <laughs> talking. So hopefully it was helpful. Um, you got closing thoughts? I think it's it's so pertinent with Easter, mm. you know, coming this week. Um, like, w- most likely we're going to have an influx of people, right? Right, and most of them would say that, yeah, I'm okay with God, yeah, right. I, but Easter is that's something that we do, and so like, man, what an opportunity to leverage. Mm. Um, these types of conversations to engage in the gospel and, and not that we just want them to come to church to come to church sake but man preach the gospel and counter the word of God yeah yeah so invite those friends mm-hmm. go to an Easter egg hunt on Saturday invite somebody to church with you on Sunday yeah leverage it it's good thanks brother cool <laughs>